good evening, everybody. Great to see y'all tonight, and uh, thank you for coming out for Wednesday night Bible study, the last Wednesday night before Christmas. And uh, I will say uh, quickly tonight, I hope that and trust that all of you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas, uh, good holidays, and uh, may the Lord be with you. Sunday um, here at Grace Church, and uh, we will be partaking in communion on that service, so you'll want to remember that, and then Monday, January the 2nd, begins our 21 days of sacrifice, so uh, be prepared for that, and um, and then on Saturday, February the 11th, uh, you ladies will want to take note, Saturday, February the 11th is our annual ladies' tea, and uh, if you'd like to have a table uh, as the tea goes. Uh, see Sister Landry, and uh, she'll let you know what you need to know about that. What a wonderful service this past Sunday morning, and uh, was so very thankful for the moving of God's Spirit, and uh, thankful for the presence of the Lord that was here Sunday, and uh, real excited about that and. God talked to a lot of people that were here Sunday. So we're hoping and praying for uh, some good results and perhaps uh, others may, some of these folks may seek out Grace Church in the future. So we're hoping that that will happen. As you can see, I'm coming way out of the box tonight for Bible study and uh, sitting here on the floor and uh, wanting to teach. I'd like for this to be a little more casual because of what I'm teaching tonight I'd like for you to actually see how it can work for you you don't have to teach what I'm going to share with you tonight you don't have to teach it from a pulpit you don't have to be in church I have taught this in people's living rooms I've taught it around kitchen tables um, in the conference room here at church um, just numerous places and um, through the years that I've taught this Bible study to people who are hungry for the Lord, uh, God has blessed me to win a number of people to the Lord from various religious backgrounds uh, through this Bible study. And um, so I wanted to share this with our youth group especially, uh, but it will be great for everybody tonight. So we have encouraged you in times past to bring your Bible, and uh, this would be a real night be very handy tonight to have it if you do have it I'm going to be reading a lot of scriptures and um, I'm going to say more in this Bible study tonight than I would normally say, say if I were teaching it to somebody uh, I, I want to give you all as much information as I can so um, I'll also mention here tonight especially for our youth group I don't know where our girls are. I think we have a conspiracy or something going on here. Did y'all run the girls off? Did all the girls, they're gone. So don't know where they're at. Um, <clears throat> but um, we'd, I'd like to have this, and, it, and it'll, it'll get done. But upload it to our website, and then anybody that wants to go back and watch it, it'll be there forever kind of thing. And um, you'll be able to go back and reference it. You'll be able to pause it. So if you don't get everything I say tonight, um, this would be good for our Sunday school teachers. You could teach this in your Sunday school class two or three times a year, if not more, to start pounding it into our, our kids, especially maybe primary, junior high, that or junior class that age, uh, eight, nine years old and up. And you can simplify it as much as you need to or whatever. Uh, but the thrust of this Bible study is when you read Acts 2.38 to people and say this is what you need to do to be saved, you can show them where Peter got that information from. Uh, he didn't just pull it out of the air. He didn't just make it up. But he got that information Repent, be baptized, everyone of you in the name of Jesus Christ with mission of sin, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
He got that from somewhere. He just didn't pull it out of the air. I want to show you tonight where he got it. And again, this is a highly successful Bible study. If you are teaching somebody that's hungry, that's open, it, it answers the questions. So y'all ready? Here we go. The way you want to start this Bible study is most people will have heard that Jesus died on the cross for their sin. Most people in this country are familiar to some degree with that story. That he died on the cross and then if, if they don't have any Bible knowledge, you can tell them that he did rise from the dead on the third day and there's, there's Bible to prove that. Okay. This Bible study begins with Jesus resurrecting from the dead and meeting with his disciples. He spent 40 days with his disciples after he resurrected from the dead and before he ascended back into heaven. So you want to explain that. That's where this Bible study is coming from, okay? Again, I'm going to put a little more information in this than I usually teach, but I'll give you all the information so you'll know it if you ever want to teach it. We're going to start tonight. We're going to start tonight in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do, uh, both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I want to go through these three verses in just a little bit of detail. Okay. This is something I'll tell you that I don't always teach people when I teach this Bible study. When the writer of the book of Acts said that he, he referred to the former treaties have I made, he's referring to the first book that he wrote. The person that wrote the book of Acts is Luke. He was a physician, very educated man, intelligent man. He wrote the book of Acts, but he also wrote the book of Luke. And he wrote the book of Luke before he wrote the book of Acts. So when he said the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, to gain someone's confidence that you know what you're talking about and that the Bible is accurate, etc., you can actually turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1 where he said um, Luke chapter 1 verse 1 for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us even as they delivered them unto us which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word Luke is saying here that a lot of people have written about the life of Christ but I'm going to write a book that is accurate, that is dependable. I'm going to tell the story. I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm not going to leave anything out. He's making all of that clear. He said, I'm making a sound declaration. He said, it seemed to me in verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. He understood from the very beginning what Jesus was all about. He said, so I want to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Nobody knows who Theophilus is. It's been studied. He's maybe a fellow doctor. He could have been somebody in, in, a, in the political structure. Nobody knows who Theophilus is. And for the case of this sake of this Bible study, it doesn't matter. The point is, is you're going to tell people in Acts chapter 1 verse 1 that Luke wrote to a man named Theophilus. And he, he referred to that writing. He said, I have already wrote once about the life of Christ. You go to that in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And Luke says, I've understood what Jesus was doing from the very, very beginning. And what I'm about to write is true and factual. So it verifies 
and gives a little more weight and credence to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm giving you that information, you study it, and then you can impart that to people as you feel to. Back to Acts chapter 1, verse 1 again. The former treaties have I made the Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, that is the ascension, when he ascended from earth back into heaven from the Mount of Olives. Y'all with me so far? Okay. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. He gave them commandments, not options, not choices, commandments. These are thou shalt and thou shalt not kind of things. These are commandments, not for your debate, not for you to summarily dismiss. These are things that I am requiring. He gave his apostles commandments through the Holy Ghost. Verse 3. Again, Luke is striving to write something that he was an eyewitness of, that he understood. He had his head around what Jesus was doing, so he is writing a very clear declaration of what all of this gospel, Jesus coming to the earth and all that is about. Okay, Verse 3, he goes on to verify that. He's, he's adding more to that. He said, to whom also he, he showed himself alive, after his passion, by many infallible proofs. Luke is saying here that Jesus resurrected from the dead, period. His body wasn't stolen. There's not an imposter. It was Jesus. And he showed himself to his apostles after his passion or after his crucifixion. When he resurrected from the dead, he showed himself alive to them by many infallible proofs proofs you can't deny this Luke is saying and during those 40 days from his resurrection to his ascension he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs during that time Luke gives us the purpose of why he showed himself to his apostles to give them commandments pertaining to the kingdom of God now everybody here tonight and most people you teach tonight a lot of people here tonight and most people you will teach will automatically assume that Jesus is, is talking about heaven here, or Luke is talking about heaven, when he said he gave them commandments pertaining to the kingdom of God. He is not talking about heaven. There's two different meanings in the New Testament when you read the kingdom of God, and it's imperative that you figure out which one is being discussed if you want to talk about it or discuss it with somebody if you go to your bibles you'll want to write this down in romans 14 verse 17 paul clarified this in romans chapter 14 verse 17 when he said for the kingdom of god is not meat and drink in other words it's not an earthly kingdom it's not a king it's not servants it's not peasants it's not chariots and all that that's not the kingdom of god he said the kingdom of god is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So when Luke said in the book of Acts that Jesus gave his apostles commandments pertaining to the kingdom of God, you could very easily say, and as well you could say, he gave them com commandments pertaining to the Holy Ghost. So when Peter said on the day of Pentecost, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Luke used the terminology kingdom of God but Paul clarified in Romans what the kingdom of God is. It's the Holy Ghost. Jesus gave his disciples commandments pertaining to the Holy Ghost. Okay? Is everybody still on board? Okay. All right. I want to take you tonight to three cases or instances in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus appeared to his disciples. Luke said he appeared to his disciples by many infallible proofs. You remember that? He said he appeared to them by many infallible proofs. I want to take you to at least three, maybe four, of those instances where that happened. 
So we're not using religious tradition. We don't believe what we believe because we're United Pentecostal. We don't believe what we believe because our mom and daddy believe that. We believe what we believe because that's what the Bible says. And I could show you what the Bible says in writing about what I believe. And so when we get up and, and teach you, you have to repent, you have to be baptized. We get that directly from the Bible. And I'm going to show you where we get that, okay? So the first place I want to go, and you can write this down, is in Luke chapter 24. This is a wonderful, wonderful scripture setting. But this is one of those times Jesus resurrected from the dead and he appeared to his disciples. This is one of those occasions, all right? I will prove it to you. In Luke chapter 24, if you look at verse 36 and begin reading that, you will find that this is Jesus is with his disciples after he resurrected from the dead. So this is one of those. So you can prove that this is where he showed the disciples his hands and his feet and see the scars. It's me, Jesus. Okay, you, you can cover that if you want to, if you, if you need to just show somebody. Jesus just resurrected from the dead. He's got nail scars in his hands and feet and a scar on his side and all of that. But so he proves to them, showing them the scars in his hands and feet, it's him. This is me. I'm Jesus, who they crucified. I resurrected from the dead three days later. It's me. You can believe that. And then the, he went on to tell them in verse 44. He said, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you or before I was crucified, that all things must be fulfilled notice that was written in the law of Moses, in the Psalms, and in the prophets concerning me. Jesus is using three witnesses out of the Old Testament. He's using the law of Moses and then another totally complete different witness from the law of Moses was the Psalms and then another third witness completely different from the Psalms is the prophets. The Old Testament law said that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established and Jesus used three Old Testament eras of time, law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets, and said to his disciples, when these three areas, when the men that lived in those three areas prophesied about the Messiah coming, they were talking about me. I'm that Messiah. I'm that person. So Jesus is making very clear. I've showed you the nail scars in my hands. These are things that I don't teach everybody. I don't go through all this, but I'm just giving you as much as I can. So to make it, if somebody questions, you'll have an answer. But he made it clear physically that it's me by the nail prints in his hands and whatnot. And then he made it clear that I have come from prophetical origin. The law of Moses talked about me. The Psalms talked about me. Psalm 22, uh, David prophesied that he would be crucified and no bones in his body would be broken. The prophets talked about him. I talked about it Sunday. Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah more than any other prophet. So Jesus is using these three completely different categories of Scripture to prove that I'm the Messiah. So he's, he's given his resume, showed him his hands, said I'm the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. All right, verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. This is huge. And when I'm teaching people this study, I, I ask them, I tell them, please be open to the voice of God in your ear. Be open to the word of God in your ear. When you're hearing these things, God can give you understanding of it if you are hungry for it. If you're looking for Jesus, if you're looking for the way to heaven, I'm going to share that with you. But if you're open, if you're open-minded, God will open your understanding to these things. So he opened their understanding. And then he went on to say, and it is written, he's going back to the Psalms, the prophets, the law of Moses. He's going back to that and said, it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. 
It was prophesied that he would be crucified and that he would rise from the dead. Here comes the commandment. He said in verse 47 that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. There's so much in this one verse right here. Jesus is now introducing them. My purpose is done. I came and died on the cross. I resurrected on the third day. I'm giving you the gospel message that I want you to preach everywhere you go. So when you preach about me and you preach about people wanting to get into the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to give you the how to do that process. So when you preach to anybody, I'm going to have to stand up now. I'm getting annoyed. Besides that, my back's hurting. When you preach about me, make sure you tell the people the first thing they need to do is repent. That's black and white in my Bible, actually red. I was just red letter edition. But Jesus said he told them, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name. All right? We all know what repentance is, right? It's when you come to Jesus, repentance is made up of two parts. You repent of your sins. You tell Jesus, I'm sorry for sinning. The second part is you turn away from those sins. You quit doing it. That's repentance. It's two parts. You get forgiveness, and then you stop doing it. Okay? But if you do do it again, you ask him, and he'll forgive you again, right? Thank God for that. We know what repentance is. But when Jesus said to preach remission of sin in my name, what is he talking about? Water baptism. Peter quoted that. He quoted what Jesus said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for. So he obeyed Jesus right there directly. He didn't change a thing, right? It's hard to argue with this. It's hard to argue with it. People said, and I'm going to come to Matthew 28, 19 in a minute. They said, well, I'd rather obey what Jesus said. Here's a good opportunity to obey what Jesus said. All right. So Jesus introduced to them that repentance and remission of sins, repentance and baptism, when you baptize, if you want your sin to be remitted, it has to be done in his name. He said that. All right. He went on to say, and you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Anybody know what he was talking about? The outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Now, I've had people tell me, now wait a minute. Jesus breathed on his disciples before he went to the cross and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And there's a lot of people that believe they received the Holy Ghost when Jesus said that, even though there was no manifestation of it from the disciples as recorded in scripture but if he's telling them now to go to Jerusalem till you be in new power on high then apparently they didn't get it when he breathed on them to receive the Holy Ghost they still didn't have the Holy Ghost or if they had it he wouldn't tell them to go to wait for in Jerusalem until they did get it if they already had it does that make sense so I'll just throw that little nugget out there to you all right so we have in Mark or in Luke 24 where Jesus said, repent, remission of sin in his name, and go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Ghost. All right? Now let's go to Mark chapter 16. This is another case where Jesus appeared to his disciples. We know it's a different time because he doesn't repeat the exact same thing over and over. He adds a little more to it each time. So in Mark, or chapter 16, uh, if you started at verse 1, if you read at verse 1, in Mark 16, that's the chapter he resurrects in. So you can prove to somebody, okay, he's just resurrected from the dead in Mark chapter 16. Now, in verse 14 of Mark 16, verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them. He appeared unto them. He just, and there he was. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't pull up in his Cadillac, whatever. He just, poof, he was there, appeared. 
landscape. He upbraided them. This word literally means to he chewed them out. He let them have it because they didn't believe the women who told them that he had resurrected from the dead. They didn't believe it. In other words, I told you I was going to resurrect from the dead. So you should have believed the women because they were right. So he fussed at them for their unbelief. And then he said unto them, he didn't throw them out. He didn't get rid of them because they didn't believe. He still has told them to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Not just Jewish people, but to everybody. You preach to everybody. Verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. I taught this Bible study in, in Youngstown years ago. I was out in our garage. It was our church, and a man just pulled up off the street. And he was of another Pentecostal kind of faith, but they didn't necessarily believe in one God like we do, and they didn't baptize the way we do. And he brought up this verse and said, what you have to understand is water baptism is not even essential. It's not necessary based on Mark 16. I said, well, how do you see that? He said, because Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What Jesus did not say was he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. And I said, well, I've been in ministry a few years now, but I've never had anybody walk up to me and say, I don't believe anything about the Bible or Jesus or the gospel, but would you please baptize me? It would have been redundant for Jesus to say, believes not and is not baptized. It would be redundant to say that. But he did say, he that believeth and is baptized. So in Luke 24, when he said, that I want repentance and remission of sin to be preached in my name. In Mark, 20, in, in, in Mark 16, he said, I want people to be baptized. So if you put the two together, you have water baptism in the name of Jesus. Jesus said that, right? Peter didn't pull it out of the air. He didn't just make it up. But he repeated what Jesus said and obeyed what Jesus said. And I'm going to come to that uh, right now. Before we leave Mark 16, Jesus went on to say in verse 17, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. So he told the disciples, when this happens to you, there's going to be a language that comes out of your mouth that you're not going to understand. It's a new tongue. And I'll go through that in a few minutes if we have time. All right, everybody on board? Let's go to Matthew 28. This is where this Bible study to me really starts coming together. If you do not, if you're a person that does not believe in Acts 2.38, this is where your argument against it really starts unraveling, is in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is one of my biggest water baptism in Jesus' name verses in the Bible to me. And I'm going to show you how. And this is how I teach it, and I believe it's very accurate. Okay, this is the third case where Jesus has appeared to his disciples after his death. Okay, this is case number three. Luke 24 is one, Mark 16 is one, and now Matthew chapter 28 is one. In verse 16, he said, And the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. The disciples worshipped him. Hallelujah, praise God, glory to God. Look, here's Jesus, hallelujah, glory. They worshipped him. But some doubted. And I believe, I'm not going to go down this path, but if you really study Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the translators got this wrong. This is not what was said in the original text. We'll go ahead and teach it. I'm not going to go down that path. Let's leave it right there. People will say, well, you're just trying to wimp out and you don't want to face it. The Bible says to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We're going to leave it here. Okay, let's leave it here. doesn't matter about what I just said. Jesus came and spake unto them, some worshiped, some doubted, and he said, I believe he said, for the doubter, 
all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Does anybody realize what he's saying? I'm not a prophet that God has just anointed, but I am God himself standing here robed in flesh is what he said. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. I have conquered everything as God robed in flesh. All right. Verse 19. Go. Everybody say go. I have literally taught this Bible study with one person, and I'll ask them to say go, and they say go. Okay. If I looked at Eli and said to him, would you go get me that bottle of water? And he looked back at me and said, would you go get me that bottle of water? He didn't do what I said. He repeated what I said. There is a big difference between the two, is there not? Y'all agree with that? Do your, how many parents here tonight are okay with the fact that when you tell your kids to do something, they just look back at you and repeat it? And you tell them, good, I'm proud of you. When Fallon tells Braylon to go set out the garbage, he looks back at her and says, go set out the garbage. And she says, yay, good boy, give you an extra allowance this week. That ain't how that works. Jesus gave them a commandment. He asked, he commanded them to obey that commandment. Don't repeat what he said. Obey what he said. So if I am a disciple, Allison, if I'm a disciple and Jesus tells me to go baptize somebody in the name of the Father, don't you think the responsibility is on me to find out what the name of the Father is? I'm not obeying Jesus if I repeat it. I have to find out what the name of the Father is. So if I'm Simon Peter, for example, and I'm trying to put all this together because of these commandments that Jesus has given me, he's kind of freaking me out because he resurrected from the dead. He just keeps showing up. He just appears in the room. That makes you want to obey him all the more, right? It's not just a man anymore. There's something going on with this Jesus, thou son of David person. And he's given us these commandments. So if I'm Peter and I'm standing in a pool of water with a convert that's just repented and I need to baptize him, am I going to repeat what Jesus said or am I going to obey what Jesus said? If you ask this, this is the only way I know to present it. And I'm in the book. I'm not adding nothing. I'm not taking nothing away. Jesus said, go do this. That's a commandment. It's not an option. It's not if you feel like it. It's not if you get around to it. It's not if you agree with it. This is what I want you to do. Go baptize your people, whoever you baptize, in the name of the Father. To obey what Jesus said, you need to find out what the name of the Father is. Well, Jesus just so happened to say that I'm coming in my Father's name. So if Jesus' name is Jesus and his Father, he's coming in his Father's name, then his Father's name must be Jesus, Right? Let me throw this at you. Most of you have heard this. So, um, Dawson, you're driving. So your daddy sends you to the cleaners to go pick up his clothes. Dawson, stop the cleaners and pick up my clothes. And you walk in there and say, I need to pick up clothes. And they say, for who? What are you going to say, my dad? And they're going to look at you and say, what is your dad's? that makes sense well that's it I've taught this to people I'm telling you sister Murphy will tell you I've taught this study for years and I've had people tell me after the study that I want to be baptized in Jesus name I've never seen this before I've just always believed that we should repeat what Jesus said and not obey what Jesus said well then you have the Holy Ghost we know Jesus name is Jesus so that takes care of the son part of this you have the Holy Ghost part of it Jesus said, I will send you another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, and I'll send it in my Father's name. You got Jesus written all over this verse. There's nothing to run away from. But here's the big clincher, and this is what I tell people. Years ago, uh, I know this to be true, 
one of our United Pentecostal Church home missionaries is what it was called years ago. Went to a city to start a church. And he just went ahead and wanted to strike first blood, I guess. He raised enough money and got a billboard in the, the, a very well-populated part of town where the road was quite traveled and said, I will give $1 million to the first person who shows me anybody in the scripture that was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And his phone started ringing off the hook. And he's like, I will. He didn't have a million dollars. He didn't need a million dollars. There's no one in the Bible ever that you can find that was baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And it is so concerning to me that there are millions of people around the world that were baptized that way because they were taught to repeat what Jesus said and not obey what Jesus said. So don't shy away from Matthew 28, 19. Go for it. Run right into it. You can, be, you can mention this one first if you want. You don't have to go to Luke 24. You can go to Matthew 28. I save it to last. It's just because of that good punch it has to it. <clears throat> and then in verse 20, he said, Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Case in point. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it would be good to start with the last commandment I just gave you. When you baptize people, don't repeat what I said. Obey what I said. Okay, y'all get that point. All right. Is everybody good? All right. Now watch this. When you're done with this, and uh, I'm going to save the second part of this to next Wednesday night because uh, it's fun. I'm going to string this out as long as I can. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. When Jesus had them assemble at the Mount of Olives, which is where they were in Matthew chapter 28, the other two situations, they were somewhere else. They were in a room somewhere, somewhere else with the doors locked and all that, windows shut. But in Matthew 28, this apparently was one of the last appearances if not the last, before he ascended back into heaven. So he tells him to go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Watch this. In Acts chapter 1, their first step is obedience. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible said, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey. Olivet is the Mount of Olives. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. So they've obeyed what Jesus said. He's ascended out of their sight. They leave the Mount of Olives, and they go to Jerusalem to an upper room where most believe this is where they had the Last Supper. They go back to that place. Also, when I was in Israel, Jerusalem, a number of years ago, the upper room is a second-floor apartment. Underneath, on the first floor, is the tomb of David. If you want something to preach study that one uh, so they returned when they came in in verse 13 where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew Philip and Thomas Bartholomew and Matthew Matthew was there all right we just read out of the book of Matthew the book that Matthew wrote that same Matthew was in the upper room in addition to that not only was Matthew there Verse 14, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. So according to the scripture, when the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2, Matthew was there and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. First of all, if Mary, the mother of Jesus, repented and was baptized in Jesus' name and received the gift of the Holy Ghost, don't you think we need to? It's a little teaching point right there. But Matthew was there. So when the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2, and I'll go through this next Wednesday. When the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2, and I'll start up all this commotion, and the people around the upper room said, what is this, all this? Peter preached the first apostolic sermon in Acts chapter 2, and then they were pricked in their heart because of his sermon and said, men and brethren, what do we do? 
So Peter, after listening to what Jesus said in Luke 24, Mark 16, and Matthew 28, he passed on those commandments to this crowd of people around the upper room. And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I don't see where he said anything that was in conflict with these three places in the New Testament where Jesus gave him them commandments, go preach this. So he's obeying Jesus. He's not repeating Jesus. He's obeying Jesus. So they ask, what shall we do? Well, Jesus told me to tell y'all to repent. Now, I don't know if he said it that way, but that's probably something like I would have said. I've never done this before. I've never received the Holy Ghost before. Peter's only had it just a little while. He's not all that well-versed as a public speaker. We know that from his history with Jesus. He offends more people than anybody, anybody else. So he just says, what do I say? And they said, tell them what Jesus said. They want the Holy Ghost like we got the Holy Ghost, so tell them, get it like we got it. We obeyed Jesus, and we got it, so if they obey Jesus, they'll get it. So he hops up and says, repent, be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, with mission of sin, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Matthew was sitting there, and he should have said, whoa, 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 no, Simon Peter. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say to be baptized in the name of Jesus. He said to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Why didn't Matthew say anything? He was there. Why didn't he correct Peter? He heard Jesus say to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Why did he say anything? He didn't have to because he understood what the name of the Father was and what the name of the Son was and what the name of the Holy Ghost was. And when you're done, you teach this like you know what you're talking about. Don't say it like you're questioning. Well, Jesus said to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You have to say it like you know it, and you know it. We, everybody here tonight should know that nobody in this Bible was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Why should I baptize anybody that way? Well, when you teach this the way you know it, whoever it is sitting across the table from you is going to get real upset that their church and their pastor didn't teach them this way. Or they just going to refuse to believe it and get up and walk out. And both has happened to me. And I'll close with both of these illustrations. I hope you can see how easy this is. I'm going to give you one more thing before I get to my illustration. What you do in your Bible is somewhere in the very back of it on a blank page. Write down Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. That will tell you if you have somebody that you want to teach this Bible study to, that's where you start. So you just take your Bible out. You've got somebody sitting across the table from you, across the living room from you, wherever at work, in the break room. And you just kind of do a quick glance and say, look, man, I'm going to show you how you need to come to Jesus. I'm going to show you what the Bible says that person has a Bible or use yours, they can break out their phone and pull it up on their phone. But you want them to follow along with you. You want them to read along with you. Sometimes I even have people read it themselves so they can hear themselves reading the Bible. And you go through Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And then at Acts chapter 1, verse 1, take your ink pen and write in the margin, Luke chapter 24, verse 45. So you're not scrambling around. So you know where you're going next. And then when you get to Luke 24 in the margin of your Bible, write Mark 16. And then when you get to Mark 16, write in the margin of your Bible, Matthew 28. And when you get done with that, write again Acts chapter 1 where they all went to the upper room. And you can show the Matthew thing. And Jesus, the mother, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus was there. So I'm going to stop right here. Next week, I'm going to show you where... This happened throughout the book of Acts in three more cases, three witnesses, where it happened to the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles, and religious people. We'll make it four groups of people. Okay. But here's my illustration. 
We taught this one night Bible study to a couple named Michael and Joy. They're both deceased now. <clears throat> Michael grew up what we would call Trinity Pentecostal. They, the overlap between the way he grew up and the way I grew up with Sister Murphy and I was unbelievable. They went to camp meetings. They shouted. They danced. They preached holiness. They did everything just like we did as apostolic people except baptize in Jesus' name. The overlap was unbelievable. We taught them Bible study. Joy was of another faith. I don't, I'm not going to call it out. But totally different faith that didn't believe any of this. None of it. We taught Bible study. I taught this Bible study. And she's sitting there and tears are streaming down her face. And she is saying, I see this. I see it. They leave. She hasn't made a commitment to baptize for her or repent or whatever. They actually were attending our church faithfully on Sunday mornings. And um, that night when they got home from that Bible study, Michael called me about an hour later and said, you're going to have to come do something with Joy. She is beside herself. She is sobbing uncontrollably. Why? He said, Joy was married before, and we knew that. But her first husband had passed away, and he was of this particular faith. And she is saying that if she embraces what the Bible says, what I taught that night, then she will, that will mean that her husband wasn't right with God, and he's in hell. That was her words. And she don't know what to do. She ultimately decided that if my first husband didn't obey this, then I'm not either. And if he's went to hell, then I guess I'll just go to hell with him. That's what I want to do. And that's what she did. She died a year or so later of a massive heart attack standing in her kitchen, cleaning potatoes, getting ready to bake them. Uh, happened on a Sunday evening. I left just before our service began, went to his house, and her body was still on the floor in the kitchen. Michael's best friend, whose name was Joseph, when Michael told him about this couple in town starting this Pentecostal church and how much overlap there was, Joseph wanted to come until he found out we were apostolic. If they baptize in Jesus' name, I can't do that. I don't believe them. Well, Joseph's curiosity got the best of him, and he's the one I've used in sermon illustrations before. I taught him this Bible study. I asked him, just hear me out. Just give me a chance. And by then, we kind of had him hooked on our church. He loved the church. Okay, I'll listen. He's the one that called me. He was a janitor, clean buildings at night. And he called me around 12-something, uh, a little after midnight, and just, Pastor Murphy, this is Joseph. Do you know what I'm doing? I've been dancing with a vacuum cleaner for 30 minutes. And he said, do you know what John 1-1 says? And I said, yes. And he quoted anyway. In the beginning was a word, so on. Do you know what verse 14 says? And I said, yes. And he went ahead and quoted anyway. And the word was made flesh. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. He got a revelation of one God. And I baptized him and Michael just a, a, a few days later. Rebaptized both of them in the name of Jesus. Joseph told me several services later after he was baptized, he said, I am so angry at my pastor where he had gone to church for years. It was a Pentecostal-ish church. Had gone there for years. And he never told me this. He never showed it to me. And he said, I could take this same Bible that I used to set on my lap when he was teaching on Wednesday night and beat him in the head with it. That was his words. Because he lied to me and did not share with me what the Bible said about my soul. So I've had people go both ways. Both are very extreme. And when you teach it, the point of this is to drive people to a decision. I have shared with you the words of Jesus. You're going to believe them or your pastor that's teaching you false doctrine or whatever. So you throw the ball on their court and you walk away from that Bible study and you pray for those people and you hope and pray that they'll make the right choice. I taught this Bible study to a man that uh, when we were still, our church was still in Baker. And actually, before I could get to some of the, even some of the punchline 
of this Bible study. He said, um, so when can you baptize me? And it shocked me. Right now, if you want to be baptized right now. But he didn't want to wait. Um, I baptized him within 24 hours of teaching him this Bible study and many, many other people that I've taught this Bible study to. So it works. It's simple. Very simple. And all of you have enough Bible knowledge already to teach this Bible study. So don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Just go through it periodically. Get yourself real familiar with the scriptures. Um, Sunday school teachers can teach this in your Sunday school class. Teach it three or four times a year. Pound it in, pound it in, pound it in. All right? And after the first of the year, Lord willing, I want to teach a one God Bible study very similar to this. Okay? Everybody good? All right. Say, I'm going to do it. All right. We're going to give you part two next Wednesday night. So God bless you. Thank you very much for being here. All of you have a very Merry Christmas. Don't overeat. And I'll be happy with whatever people give you. Whatever it is. So God bless you. You're dismissed. And we will see y'all back here next Wednesday night, a week from tonight. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you.